And welcome to Robots in Your Eyes, a podcast that looks at vintage Saturday morning cartoons through the eyes of people way older than the intended audience, still captivated by the glorified toy adverts that we love so much. I'm Stephen Alexander. I'm Jason Thompson. And for today's very special episodes of The Transformers, we have recruited one of the internet's foremost Megatron likers, <laughs> Becca. Hello, Becca. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us and agreeing to participate in whatever this is. Uh, <laughs> uh, before we start with the episode, I just want to ask you a couple of questions, particularly with regards to this sort of G1 cartoon, as it's called these days. Um, so how did you start off with Transformers? Because me and Jason started with like getting toys when we were kids, when the cartoon came out. But you came along a little, quite a bit later, I think. I did, yeah. Um, despite being a massive nerd for most of my childhood, I somehow managed to avoid Transformers until 2008. I didn't even know it was a thing. I think I must have just literally missed each of the generations as they came out, like being too old for Beast Wars, being too young for Armada. I just, I just think it passed me by. Um, and then in 2008, my mum and I were in HMV and she was like, oh, this film looks good. Look at this. It's got Shia LaBeouf on the cover. We just saw him last night in Constantine. And this has got robots in it. Shall we watch it? And I was like, yeah, it's only a fiver, you know, let's go for it. Um, and now it's 13 years later and I'm broke. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it probably seemed like a real bargain at the time, but now... <laughs> Yeah, it um yeah, it's it's the most expensive five pounds I think I've ever spent. <laughs> <laughs> so um obviously you probably went on a bit of an odyssey with Transformers after that. So what led you to the, the original cartoon? So um the weekend after we watched that first film, I was talking to my good friend Brentasaur, who's also a sort of a big name in the TF fandom, and I was saying to him, Oh, I watched this this robot film and I think it's based on something from the eighties from like a you know, brief Google search. Um, it was pretty cool. I really enjoyed it. And I really liked the bad guys. They were, they were really cool. And Brent was like, ah, oh, I've got some excellent news for you. If you, if you like the bad guys, um, you should try the original cartoon. And I kind of had this in my head. And again, I went out shopping and I went to game and in game, they had Transformers, the 1986 film on PSP UMD. And I had a PSP and it was a pound. And I was like, oh, that's that thing Brent talked about. <laughs> I think I'm going to watch it. Um, again, a very expensive pound because I started watching, immediately fell in love with the uh, Starscream and Megatron dynamic, the very brief scene you get of it in the film. Um, watched all the way through the film. I thought it was, you know, like a like a kitsch kind of cool 80s hair metal thing. I had the soundtrack straight on my phone because I loved, you know, the, the real energy of it. And again, I said to Brent, oh, I really liked the film and the bad guys in this were great too. And he was like, what, do I have some good news for you? There's a cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, your bank manager is going, no! <laughs> so my, my dad is on the other end going, no, she still lives at home. We need that money. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I ended up watching the G1 cartoon kind of out of sequence. I, I remember the first time I watched it I just picked episodes that seemed interesting and at that point it wasn't readily available on YouTube like some of the episodes were on there but not many um and I actually really really liked it uh comparing it with the rest of the the franchise is really difficult because Transformers survives because it adapts it's very much like Doctor Who you know you get a new showrunner a new doctor and the show changes and adapts to what you know society has become um but 
comparing it with other nostalgic media, I can kind of see why G1 has endured where things like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or He-Man or even Power Rangers haven't quite had that G1 staying power um, where the original cartoon is still, or the original show is still held in such high regard. Um, I think the only other the one I compare it to is like Batman, the animated series. Like everyone loves that without question. Um, I think as a medium to sell toys, it's so effective because the episodes are so brilliantly written that even a bad episode, you still enjoy it and you still get a sense of who the characters are. The writers very much put characters first. And as someone who likes characters first media, I really related to it. You know, it sold it sold toys to me. And I was uh, 19. I was 19 when I first watched it. And the next the next weekend, I was in Sainsbury's and they had a um, Revenge of the Fallen Voyager Megatron. And I hadn't even seen Revenge of the Fallen, so I don't think it was out of the cinema at that point. And I bought it because I'd watched the cartoon and I loved Megatron. And I was like, well, I don't have a Megatron, so there we go. So that also started it all <laughs> off. So, yeah, I, I really love G1. I can see why people are so nostalgic for it and love it so much. I do wish that, you know, new media would become its own thing. But I can also see why it why it doesn't, and it still kind of attaches itself back to what Transformers was in the eighties. It's interesting you were saying about it being character led, because I think that's one of the things that we've picked up on when we started, is how much effort the creators of the toy line, the cartoon, the comics went to actually make them all characters. They weren't just this guy turns into a Porsche and that guy turns into a fire truck. They actually wrote extensive character bios and tech specs and all sorts of things for them. Yeah. Um, which makes it much more interesting, I think, than than it could have been. Because uh, the level of background work and everything that goes into those characters is is stunning. The box art, the tech specs, the bios, all that kind of thing makes it much more much more to get hold of. Yeah, and you had like good guys that are good guys, but then you've got good guys like Cliff Jumper who are a little bit cheeky and don't always do what they're told. You've got Inferno, the fire truck, who c- kind of likes fire a bit too much, if you ask me. Like, <laughs> he should have been a Decepticon, I think. I think he, he likes setting them more than he likes putting them out, which is probably why he's paired with Red Alert. Um, but yeah, I think you know Bob Budiansky obviously is the real MVP, did so much work on, on mm. what we eventually got, but... Yeah, I, I think they did a, a really good job. And I think it's maybe why I didn't get into other things in the 80s like He-Man or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles because I did I was aware of them as a kid and did see them and I, I just didn't, I bounced off them. And I think it's because there wasn't that characterization necessarily. Anyway, it's time to put the master plan into action because today's episodes are part one and part two of Megatron's master plan, which is... Ooh, oh, you can just tell from the title, that's going to be good, isn't it? That's going to be really <laughs> good. <laughs> it's by, and, and it's by Donald F. Glutt. So what do we know about Donald F. Glutt? I can't remember any of the episodes specifically off the top of my head, but what I okay. do recall is, as I recall, they are usually pretty solidly structured. Did he do um, Dinobot pretty, Island? He did. I've yes, yeah. Dinobot Island, yeah. Dinobot Island, War of the Dinobots, and Heavy Metal War are some of his, and they are all fantastic. He's yeah. looking at the names of the people, because they come up on the screen in big letters. It's written by David Wise. It's written by Douglas Booth. It doesn't tell you anything. I've, I've, <laughs> gained, I've gained nothing from noting down who wrote each episode. It's been terrible, so... Well, to be fair, when you see written by Douglas Booth at the beginning, you do start to think, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, on our Transformers watch along um, that we sometimes do on 
Thursdays or Fridays, we it's not to do with the writer, but we have discovered that ACOM seem to only want to animate episodes that have got the Constructicons in. They love yeah. the Constructicons. They love Devastator. They're not interested in anyone else. <laughs> Yeah, and they are the notoriously slightly less than brilliant studio. So yeah, so devastated. (laughs) Anyway, so we start off at a place called Central City, which may or may not be the city that we've seen in all the other episodes, where the mayor is opening a solar energy facility that was donated by his campaign opponent, Sean Berger. So we see Sean Berger and he's watching from a large green armchair in a big office with his feet up on the desk, making slightly sinister comments. What are our impressions of Sean Berger? What what is he like? <laughs> Why is his hair purple? That that was my number one. I was like, you're not a punk. Get that off your head. <laughs> I Maybe, I, I don't know, maybe I was watching a different grade of the DVD, but uh, <laughs> it kind of, yeah, it's a bit purple. It's certainly a bit purple, isn't it? Yeah, just a bit. I think Decepticon purple, it's like, oh, they're trying to tell us something here. <laughs> so the Decepticons turn, it's a solar energy facility. What's going to happen? The Decepticons turn up within seconds. They do, um, though I would question their tactics, because one of the first things they do is do a really close flyby that shatters some of the solar panels. <laughs> now... I know it turns out that this is actually just a decoy solar power plant, but partially destroying the thing you're trying to get the energy from and partially destroying the part of it that makes the energy that you're trying to steal, not a great start. (laughs) And Starscream's a scientist, but apparently does not know this. Yeah, but he's also a rubbish tactician, as we've discovered. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he has taken Dirge, Ramjet and Thrust with him, the three indistinct later jets that come along into the series. They are not indistinct. You keep saying this, Steve. They are not indistinct. (laughs) Dirge is the depressed one. Ramjet's the one who hits everything with his head. And Thrust is also there. (laughs) (laughs) That is fair. Doesn't Thrust have the lovely leather wings? Uh, he's got brown, brown. He's got blue with brown leather wings. I don't that's, know. That's, that's dirge. dirge. <laughs> oh, you rubbish. fake toy fan. <laughs> Honestly, Steve, they're three jets with three distinct colours and three, and you still can't get the names right. I've told well, you this on previous ones. We'll, we'll get the combiners soon. They will all be in trouble. <laughs> oh god, yeah. I don't. Know. I know what they're called when they're all combined, but otherwise. <laughs> so anyway, so apparently the mayor. Uh, can now call the Autobots by speaking into any available microphone. <laughs> so he grabs a microphone from a reporter and yells, get me the Autobots! Which, I, actually, maybe I can forgive that because maybe it's being broadcast live to the nation. So the human tanks that Sean Berger was relying on, because it's Sean Berger's trap, and he's put all these tanks inside and he's going to destroy the Decepticons with him in, and in a quest for glory... But the tanks are blown up really quickly by the Decepticons. And we see the humans getting out just in time. Um, So in this series, humans nearly, in fact, always, always survive. Are there versions of Transformers where we see humans getting injured or killed or or worse? Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Specifically, the one I can think of immediately, because I really, really like it, is the Japanese um, follow-on series, Super God Master Force. Which opens with the Decepticon pretenders attacking and destroying a cruise liner full of people, and you see someone fall into the sea, and the whole thing blows up, and nobody survives. They also blow up air- aircraft with the people still inside them. Death is explicitly mentioned as part of the course of that series. So yes, there are versions where humans die. 
God, and that was me just thinking, yeah, probably in Transformers Prime off screen, but no, the <laughs> Japanese just went for it. <laughs> they did. Uh, I can, I honestly, I really recommend Master Force. Um, it's a, it's a very different take on the Transformers thing. So, uh, the Autobots turn up at this solar energy facility, which we were talking about a while ago. The mayor, who it remains unnamed throughout, is, an, is pleased to see them, but Berger is very annoyed because obviously they're spoiling his plan. And we get Ironhide, Warpath, Smokescreen, Bumblebee, and Trax. And Trax has a very good showing here, doesn't he? Yeah, he's like, let's turn off the lights or something. And then, does, and I'm just like, what? <laughs> okay, Trax can do that now, I guess. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he has that weird gun that can shoot darkness at people. Yeah, and yet they've got Smokescreen as well, who can also, like, that's also Smokescreen's power, and it's just like, oh, they've doubled up. And yet it's not what he does to deal with one of the Decepticons here. He just shoots him and scrambles his guidance facility. He's like, oh, Trax has already done that, so I can't do it. (laughs) Yeah, Trax has done the darkness thing, so I'll just do something totally different. (laughs) And so uh, I know that that you'll, you'll tell us when, but Starscream calls a retreat, which is great. And I keep expecting, I was expecting Dirge to say, but I can't see where I'm going and Thrust to say, but my navigational system's not working and have them all fly off in different directions. But no, they all managed to retreat in an orderly fashion. Yeah, that occurs at three minutes and 30 seconds into the episode is, is Starscream's retreat. Yeah, not um, quite a record, but I think we're getting there. <laughs> the Autobots bathe in the adulation of the humans and they're really enjoying it, particularly Trax, who seems quite vain. I enjoy the adulation. But the noise is most irritating. I've got I've got one minor issue with that bit of that bumblebee standing there clapping his hands, going, Well, guess we showed them. It's like you didn't actually do anything. <laughs> <laughs> you and Spike just stood there and watched. <laughs> he was cheering them on. He was moral support. <laughs> as ever, Bumblebee. So the mayor offers to honour the Autobots at City Hall and he shakes hands with Prime, which is always fun to see, with this massive hand coming, <laughs> searing towards him. And he's going, ah. So what is the relationship between the humans and the Transformers in this show? The humans in the 84 cartoon, it does, they do baffle me a little bit because it's like, here's some giant robots from outer space and everyone goes, all right, yeah. what's on the telly? It's like they don't care. And it's the one thing the Bay films kind of get right. Because, you know, in that one, they show up and Shia LaBeouf's like, all right, yeah, whatever. I don't really care. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is baffling. Like the toy line is robots in disguise. The whole point of the toy line is they can disguise themselves. And then like 30 seconds into More Than Meets the Eye Part 1, slight exaggeration. They're like, hello, we're giant robots from outer space. We don't need to hide anymore because you all know we're here. Well, the disguise thing never really worked, did it? Because they disguised themselves as vehicles with whacking great faction logos on them. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's kind of been done in the comics, but I still want that version of Transformers where there's a few of them and they have to be in disguise because if they transform, they show themselves. I want that version. And we're just not getting it anywhere because it's too much fun to have 500 of them shooting each other. Yeah. <laughs> in this cartoon, know about the... Know about the Transformers or don't, depending on the requirements of this week's episode. Yeah, some people are like, you get to the end of season two and Soundwave does something and a human's like, oh my God, it's a giant robot from outer space. What? It's like, where have you been for the last two years? Did you just not <laughs> yeah. watch TV? <laughs> well, I'll tell you who does watch TV. It's Burger. Sean Burger, And he's, he turns off his telly in absolute fury. He must find another path to glory. 
But he's got something suspicious on his desk, hasn't he? <laughs> something very suspicious. It's not even Soundwave. Who is it? Oh, it's Laserbeak. Yeah. So Laserbeak kidnaps Sean Berger and um, crashes through the window with him, takes him out of his, his huge tower block, Burger Inc., and brings him before the almighty Megatron on a rather exciting sunsetty clifftop. And we've got some gorgeous sunset weather at this point, and Sean Berger is understandably terrified. It's very different approach for Megatron, and there's a real sense of him doing some master planning this time, because he's being sneaky. Mm-hmm. And I love Megatron when he's being a bit sneaky. So what what does he tell Sean? Oh, the power of public relations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we've been cancelled, Mr. Burger. <laughs> <laughs> cancelled by the Autobots. <laughs> cancelled by Autobot propaganda. It's a weird one. It's quite bizarre because Megatron is going on a really sneaky route. And yet Burger is characterized as the kind of person who would quite happily team up with the bad guy anyway, because he wants power and glory. So it, it's kind of weird why Megatron chose him specifically to go down this route with. He does very affectionately sweep Burger's hair back at one point <laughs> and then gently picks him up and puts him into Dirge's cockpit. Yeah, he's like, I've seen people do this on TV. That's where I'm copying my behaviour from. It, it is weird because, you know, I was sat there going, like, they're saying to Burger, like, we're, we're good guys and we want you to, like, vindicate us. And Burger's like, cool. I want two cities. And Megatron goes, yep, done. And it's like, if he was a good guy, his response would be, oh no, you're, you're horrible. I'm going to send you away now. And it, it's always funny when, when Sean later has that face heel like realisation, because it's like, my, my brother in Christ, he offered you two cities. <laughs> That's not a good thing. <laughs> it's not a good sign. Spike mentioned it in a previous episode. They don't call these guys Decepticons for nothing. <laughs> but yeah. But Burger is completely suckered by Megatron's claim, but he offers him proof that the Autobots are evil. One interesting thing I did spot is that Megatron makes a chess analogy. <laughs> he thinks he will be king, but he will never be more than a pawn. Do they play chess? Is that one of the human char- human games they've picked up? Do you know what? I think Megatron does, and I think Starscream beats him every time, and I think that's why he doesn't like Starscream very much. <laughs> it's like round 475, and Starscream's like, you've, you've just put your queen in front of my pawn. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, be- best, best 5,000 out of 20,000 for the leadership of the Decepticons. <laughs> yeah. Burger's a media mogul, and he takes his helicopter out to an oil field where they spot the Autobots, and the Autobots... They've got their own Energon cubes and they're filling them from the oil tankers. And Berger orders the cameras to roll as the... We've not seen the Autobots do this before. We don't know quite where they get their energy from. And actually, we don't actually... Apart from getting Megatron drunk, we don't know what Energon... Still don't know what Energon cubes do. And But uh, Optimus Prime is even doing an evil laugh. Peter Cullen's (laughs) evil laugh is... It's cinema. It's poetry. Another raid to blame on the Decepticons. <laughs> but when he's doing evil, I think he sounds a bit more like... Because Ironhide's in this scene as well. He's one of the ones filling up the cubes. And I think he sounds a bit more like Ironhide when he's doing the evil voice. And it's... It, yeah. That was for me anyway. I don't know. I'm, I'm just being picky. The Decepticons turn up just as the Autobots start blasting at the helicopters. And Berger cheers Megatron along, says, blast them, Megatron. And then Prime makes a command, 
destroy them, Autobots. Which is, aside from, I think, in the movie where he says, he tells the Dinobots to destroy Devastator, he very, very rarely says destroy anything, does he? His Very dialogue is, is written to be Starscream because he says we're going to bleed this planet dry and Starscream says that in another episode. I can't remember which one. So even his dialogue is written as though it is Starscream in the suit. Not quite understanding how he's supposed to... <laughs> he's, he's got the cosplay down, but like his acting skills are not great. <laughs> yeah. Also, Megatron arrives with four jets. Ramjet, Dirge, Thrust and Starscream. Except it later turns out that Starscream is playing Optimus Prime. Okay, you think maybe they did that classic thing where they cocked up the animation and did the colours wrong because they're always mixing up Skywarp, Thundercracker and Starscream, sometimes within a single scene. Except later on, it turns out that the other two jets, Thundercracker and Skywarp, are playing Wheeljack and Ratchet. So Starscream is in two places at once in this episode. Acting. (laughs) Yes, it's acting. So uh, there is a battle. There's a big punch up between the Autobots and Decepticons. Sunstreaker gets knocked over by thrust. Wheeljack fires tiny little missiles out of his big missile. I know how much you love that, Steve. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of my favourites. And the Decepticons are all saying things like, I will avenge you, save the humans. And today, Earth learns the truth. So they're really kind of, uh, is it, who who says, is it Megatron who says save the humans? Yes. Yeah. And today, Earth learns the truth. It's Megatron. Megatron leading the uh, the propaganda. They, they've got some fantastic cosplay going on. You'd think Ooh. they could think of better things to do with it than just get some bloke to record them doing something. <laughs> yeah, but that would require you know, finesse and intelligence, things that the Decepticons simply just do not possess. True. <laughs> this is another one of those wonderful abilities they have, like cloning Optimus Prime absolutely mm. perfectly. <laughs> which they could have done that and had Optimus Prime (laughs) clone leading a rampage against an oil refinery. But no, no, no. We'll just get the other guys to cosplay the Autobots this time around. Yeah. Uh, I I think the Decepticons are turning their hobby into their job at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, yep. Because we see the jet, there's a lovely synchronised transformation with the jets as they come down land and blast the Autobots. And Optimus Prime yields to Megatron's might. And you can just tell that Megatron gets Starscream to dress up as Optimus Prime. Just so he can shoot him. (laughs) That's one of the notes I made. I was like, hmm, Starscream as Optimus Prime, question mark. (laughs) Do you think he told Starscream in advance that he was going to get shot before he took the job? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so uh, Berger has it all on tape, and slightly oddly, Wheeljack blasts the camera from under Berger's helicopter, which then falls to the ground. And Dirge picks it up, and he's got plans. <laughs> Let's make some whole movies. That's such a good scene. That's like one of the G1 scenes of time. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, there's about five or six of them. <laughs> it's brilliant. Incidentally, uh, this is the first episode, although it's not the first one he appears in. This is the first episode where Dirge actually gets named. Oh. So he's on the roster, formally, at last. Yeah. Uh, Megatron, of course, wants to return the take to Berger because it's his master plan. Meanwhile, in Central City, it, it, well, actually, probably a bit later in Central City, it's Autobot Day. There's a huge parade, and the Autobots are driving to City Hall. They obviously, for this episode, use the special Autobot-sized City Hall, which they can all walk <laughs> in through the front door and go and receive their special medals. Um, I, 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 I like the Autobot Parade. I particularly like, there's a lot of clips from the closing credit sequence here. 
I think it's nice that we're getting some, you know, recognition for a change. You know, they were actually for like five seconds. <laughs> Humans are like, wow, thanks for saving us again. <laughs> it's one of the things I really like about this episode is that it covers more of the human side of the whole story of the Transformers mm. being there. Yeah, especially the focus on like, um, I was thinking this one as rewatching it because Chip Chase is one of my favourite G1 characters. And as a, it's a real Chip Chase focused, you know, Spike's there. He does he does nothing. He tries. He, he doesn't. But Chip Chase has this really nice relationship with Optimus Prime. And it's something that seems to have been forgotten over the years. People talk about Spike and Bumblebee. But actually, there's several episodes where Chip and Optimus are shown to have this really lovely like father-son relationship. And that's really, really sweet to see. Yeah. I, I think Chip is also too much of a forgotten character because he is brilliant. He is he is interesting and he's more than just the boy genius he's introduced as. He's He's got a lot of pluck, I like yeah. to say. A lot of moxie. Yeah. So anyway, so uh, the mayor, who is, I think, coded as a hapless Democrat, he starts, <laughs> starts reading the solar energy speech again, which is the wrong speech. And then he gets the right one. He starts saying, oh, the, aren't the Autobots brilliant? Let's watch some footage of the Autobots in action. But it's Berger who earns the network. And so he puts on a slightly different tape while the mayor is talking. And suddenly we get a message from Megatron. It's the video footage of the oil field fight. Nothing gets by Ironhide, does it? That's not a solar power plant. That's an oil refinery. Well done, Ironhide. 10 out of 10 and a gold star for you. Prime dismisses the video footage as a fake. But it isn't. It's definitely real. And then there's a second tape, which we haven't seen before, which is like this bit didn't <laughs> need to be there. It didn't need to be there at all. But it's lovely because it just answers one key question, and makes it a little bit more convincing. So we see outside the arc, Optimus Prime and Wheeljack. And Wheeljack is a special sort of um, a ray projector device that he uses to zap three of the Decepticon jets. And then they go... <laughs> suddenly I have the urge to steal energy and destroy. <laughs> yeah, I think you must have a different definition of the word convincing than I do, Steve. <laughs> I just, I find it really admirable that obviously to get that shot, Megatron had to build a life-size arc in the side of a mountain <laughs> that looked like Mount St. Helens. Is it St. Helens or St. Hillary? It's one of the two. St. Helens, I've got St. Yeah. Helens. Yeah, like he, he built the set and everything and it's just like you didn't they don't even know that the Autobots live there most of them probably you could have done it anywhere <laughs> I, I, having done uh very toy photography through through a couple of years now I I know you, you just get a miniature version don't you, you get a miniature version you print it back in, do it either that expect. or you wait till the Autobots are all out and then just pop along <laughs> and do it that's much you know, easier, they, yeah. they quite often go out and leave everybody behind well they they, they leave the Dinobots in a cupboard but other than <laughs> that, do. you know, they quite often just go out and leave it unattended. Do you think they come back and Teletran one's like, the Decepticons are outside and Optimus is like, what were they doing? Teletran's like, I don't know. <laughs> they were just sort of here and then they left. <laughs> what, what was that? I don't know, but suddenly I have the urge to steal energy and destroy. This is bogus. Maybe it's a joke. If it is, it's not funny. The final piece of evidence is footage from the Ark saying, once we are fully trusted and the Decepticons vanquished, we will claim the Earth as our own. Prime says that he won't do anything rash. And the alternative to that is to do nothing at all. 
which I think is, oh, Prime, you're, you're falling into the trap here. So the Autobots return to HQ, and on the way, they get pelted with various bits of fruit and vegetable that the crowd happen to be carrying. Mm-hmm. And there's a guy in the crowd, um, I believe he has a moustache, uh, who has his own TF Wiki entry. <laughs> and he is, I love that. He is identified as Produce Thrower. <laughs> <laughs> And this is an amazingly quick turnaround for the crowd because they've all come out to celebrate Autobot Day. And within minutes, they seeing the Autobots as villains. Now, I would say that's kind of unconvincing, but actually, I think that's all too true to life. Mm, especially if, you know, we were trying to decide earlier how much do humans actually know? And if you're just an average human that doesn't really, you know, watch the news or anything, and you've been to Autobot Day because, oh, there's going to be giant robots there and we can take Timmy and we can watch them. And then, you know, there's this evidence that they've done wrong. I don't think the average human really would understand the distinction between Autobot and Decepticon. I don't think they probably know. So they're just like, oh, yeah, that, that, that looks like a convincing video, I guess. I'll just do what the crowd does, which humans are, are want to do. <laughs> you know, if a crowd turns, it's, it's everybody. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just... Rewatching it again, you know, a lot of people talk about like fake news and that phenomenon, but I do think it misses like the context that the average person won't won't know the difference between an Autobot and a Decepticon because the average person doesn't live with them in the arc. Yeah. yeah, and to be fair, most average people who encounter Autobots and Decepticons get caught up in the middle of a massive firefight where lots of damage happens, and the Autobots are just as bad at damaging things as the Decepticons are. They've not got the best track record. So anyway, so back at the Ark, Sunstreaker is saying how undependable the humans are. Uh, but Bumblebee says that some of his best friends are humans. I think he's thinking about Carly there, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, he's definitely thinking about Carly. <laughs> Spike's I like, oh, thanks. So. And Bumblebee's looking directly at Carly, who's just <laughs> off camera. <laughs> <laughs> but they haven't got time to mope because Sean Berger is on his way with literally hundreds of tanks. Like the tanks we saw earlier, the nice blue tanks with the double turrets. They're all coming down the hill. They're pouring down the valley like ants. And they're kind of like, oh, yeah, let's blow up the tanks. Let's have a fight. Let's, oh, we're well up for this. But Prime stops all of that. He says, no, we're not blowing up the tanks. You know, we just got to roll with this because, you know, we, we're the heroic Autobots. And But he says, we're, we're only going to surrender to a legitimate authority because uh, Sean Berger turns up in a helicopter and says that we're, we're placing you all under arrest. But actually the mayor's with Berger. So all the Autobots are now under arrest. And Spike's Ooh. like... That doesn't apply to honorary Autobots, does it? <laughs> <laughs> Again? Again. Again. So, yeah. Again. Are, are all the Autobots under arrest? Because there only seem to be about eight of them standing outside the Ark at this point. All um, the ones whose toys were selling well that week, they're the ones under arrest specifically. If, you, if you're not popular, it doesn't matter. You don't need to go on the rocket ship. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I, they didn't tell them about the Dinobot cupboard. So there's no, the Dinobots again left in the cupboard. No sign of them at all. Uh, no, but they the, wouldn't uh, be again, this is it. again. I like this is one of the things I like about this episode because the Autobots are big and powerful and could walk all over the humans trying to stop them from doing it, but they don't because they're the good guys. And it kind of shows the precarious position that they're in. Really, is that if the humans do turn against them. As Prime says, anything they do to defend themselves will simply be taken as admission of their guilt and their lack of care for humans. So they really yeah. are against a rock and a hard place. There is almost literally at this point nothing they can do. 
Yeah. And there's a fantastic, fantastic bit of dialogue, which I think is genuinely fantastic, where Ironhide says, This is a frame-up. Just see the word prime and will. The word, Ironhide, is surrender. Which is just, that's just wonderful stuff. Um, there's some really good writing in this episode, like dialogue-wise. Bumblebee persuades Spike, Sparkplug and Chip to come along by saying they'll need moral support. Uh, and then we get some, a couple of brief cutaways. So the first one is a reporter interviewing the man on the street construction worker. Uh, and he's he's got a big moustache, but I was very disappointed he didn't have a beige top, jeans and yellow boots. <laughs> which is what we like to see. And this construction worker is like, oh, I, this is such a, I, it feels like a modern phenomenon, but it really isn't. He's the guy who's seen the conspiracy theory video and says, well, I've got legitimate doubts now. And it's just it's just horrible, isn't it, really? Mm. Yeah. You'd like to think that most people are more sensible than that, but evidence suggests that actually, no, they're really not. <laughs> yeah, and we were sort of post-Watergate by this side time, so it's just like, yeah, I've seen one video and now I believe in aliens. It's all good. <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, on the plus side, though, the next shot is the Decepticons leaving their undersea base. Yeah. We haven't seen the undersea base for ages. It's been temporary base week after week, and now <laughs> it's back with the undersea base, which I, I just the way it comes out the waves, the big purple tower. Oh, it's fantastic. I love uh, the hubris of the undersea base. Like Megatron was like, look, I crashed the ship, and so we're gonna live in the ship, okay? <laughs> I'm not relocating the ship with the with the technology we, we quite obviously have. It's staying here at the bottom of the ocean, even though Carly somehow knows where it is, okay? <laughs> Any base I build outside of the sea is temporary, okay? <laughs> yep. <laughs> even if it's bigger or more capable or mobile or on the moon uh, or a giant griffin no we're going yeah. back under the ocean lads don't don't get don't get comfortable here guys <laughs> frenzy is still in there keeping it nice and tidy for us <laughs> <laughs> the decepticons head off to a big trial at an american football stadium and the decepticons are there they're going to watch the trial because sean berger is sitting in a big blue armchair giving testimony but this trial is so very odd um, and it bugs me and it bugs Spike. Mm-hmm. And now we get the funniest thing I have seen on Transformers. And it's so blink and you miss it kind of subtle. So Spike runs off because he thinks he can find evidence and he runs off across the ground. Soundwave isn't keen on that. So he ejects Ravage and sends Ravage after him. Ravage, we've seen, is the terror of human beings and can chase and track and hound them for mile after mile. And we see Spike running out through the stadium and then we see him running through some revolving doors. (laughs) We see Ravage running after him and Ravage just goes, donk, and it's the end of the scene. (laughs) Yeah, Ravage, the terror of the humans defeated by revolving doors. Yep. <laughs> also, like the whole the, the, the football stadium trial is it's a sham. And it, I think it's one of the most G1 things ever because it is very much young kid playing with their action figures. There's going to be like a grand trial, but oh, the robots are too big for a real courtroom. I know they're in a football stadium. That's where you can fit lots of people and set things up. I've seen that on the TV. And it's like, again, to reference the Bay films in the last night when Megatron is in the desert with the lawyers. It's like those two scenes, they're like poetry. They rhyme. You know, it's the same kind of vibe of this is completely ridiculous. And yet for some reason, I kind of buy it. 
what I what I really liked about this was uh, again it was a blink and you miss it, and it's quite small because it's a long shot, and so everyone's drawn really little. But as they do the, the uh, an introductory pan over the tr- the trial at one point, the Decepticons are lined up on the side, and you can see Starscream is leaning back with his arms folded and his legs crossed, yeah, <laughs> in a very relaxed pose. <laughs> He's he's having the time of his life, isn't he? He's not the only one. Anyway, Spike heads off to a, a, some room with loads of tapes in it. It's not identified where. It's just a room with loads of tapes in it. And he watches back the evidence and he says, there's something odd, something bugged me. The Autobots never transformed. But it's not enough evidence. But then he sees slightly more convincing proof. What does he see? Optimus Prime takes off yeah. his head to reveal Starscream's head underneath. And miraculously, Starscream's shoulder intakes just kind of rise up from behind his head at the same time, which is very, very bizarre. Not quite as bizarre as we're trying to fool everyone into thinking we're the Autobots. So let's record ourselves taking the disguises off and not edit that out of the tape before we give it to Berger. That's yeah, a we're good gonna idea. give like wholesale to Berger, and Berger for some reason did not watch the full tape. Like he he watched up to a certain point. I was like, ah, oh, it's enough. I, I don't need to see anymore. Nothing important's gonna happen past this stage. And it's just like <laughs> it's that kind yeah. of carelessness. Yeah, yeah. The the uh, well, actually, it's that kind of carelessness that, as we see, doesn't matter one jot. No. <laughs> so the trial concludes, and Chip protests. Says oh, it's not fair. This, this trial is terrible. It seems actually insane. Uh, but the judge says that the wheels of justice do not stop turning for children, which is one of the most horrific things I've heard on Transformers. <laughs> yeah, it's like, can we put the judge on the space shuttle with the Transformers as well? Because <laughs> we don't want him either. <laughs> <laughs> He's a terrible, terrible judge. So the Autobots are guilty, and they are banished from Earth forever. And Prime agrees to this like a big idiot. Yeah, on this whole trial, could they really not find any evidence, any supporting witnesses, anything? I mean, there there was all that stuff that happened in New York. Um, there was the business with the Subatlanticans in Washington, D.C. There's loads of shots of Megatron storming in going, I am the leader of the Decepticons. Give me what I want or I'll destroy this place or whatever. And nobody comes forward with any of this. Sorry, Jason. Everybody, everybody who was involved in New York or the Subatlantican in- incident is trying to forget it. <laughs> That's very true. Yes, I would. I yeah, I I would if I was there. Yes. Sorry, yeah, they've all gone to therapy. Um, no, I was going to say, like in an ideal watch along, like G one has no continuity, and by that I mean it has like two episodes where it has continuity. So if I was showing it to someone, I would show them like more than meets the eye, parts one to three, and transport to oblivion, and then I would immediately stick on Megatron's master plan. That makes more sense because then the Autobots are new and the Decepticons are new, and all those things haven't happened. Coming halfway through season two, it's yeah. like really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah very much so so uh burger has uh has handily provided the uh courts of the world with a transformer sized spaceship which cost him handy a paltry sum but he okay. built in less than a day this apparently all takes place the same day yeah i th- i suspect that i see the constructicons hand in this actually thinking about yeah. it yeah yeah, yeah. Good, that was good. Uh, Prime can't do anything because it would be an admission of his guilt. Come on, Prime, do something. But where will you go? Somewhere, Chip. Maybe even Cybertron. Wherever we go, we'll miss you. You and Spike and Sparkplug have been true friends. 
it's really wistful and heartbreaking. So they ask where Spike is, but he's still off looking for evidence. It's too late for evidence, though. And oh, we get this absolutely gorgeous shot of the spaceship taking off in ch- reflected in Chip's glasses. What I liked in that sequence was when the burger says, oh, I wonder what would happen if we had the election now. And the mayor <laughs> says, ah, your quest for glory will destroy you. And Burger says, oh, it doesn't look like that from where I'm standing. And I was watching that, I'm thinking, where you're standing is dangerously close to a massive rocket that's about to blast off. (laughs) (laughs) There's a reason why Cape Canaveral and things has like a three-mile exclusion zone around the rocket launch sites. (laughs) You don't want to stand that close to it when it's going up. Uh, A wizard did it. There we go. A wizard did it, yes. Yeah, a wizard did it. (laughs) One thing I did like about it was that they made an effort on the lift that goes into the rocket to make it look like they really did have all the Autobots, especially impressive when you consider they had to draw them really, really small, and yet you can still recognise quite a few of them on that platform lift. Mm. Um, Yeah, you do get a good sense of the scale and the finality of it. It feels like the end, and it only gets worse from here. Because in the arc, in the arc, Megatron and Berger are bickering because they've all gone to the arc. And Berger says, you promised me three cities, but Megatron isn't ready yet because he's got another phase to his master plan. And he goes up to Teletran 1 and he changes his fusion cannon from, okay, no, forget it. It's not a fusion cannon. It's just whatever it needs to be, right? It's whatever yeah, it's it needs to be. TV remote, yep. <laughs> he changes yeah. it to a TV remote. and he twists um, it around a bit and a lens appears at the end, which is... <laughs> bizarre (laughs) and we get a lovely uh kind of idiot board the autobot spaceship is heading towards deep space and he scrubs out the word deep space with his remote and he replaces it with a single word which is sun sun so the autobot spaceship is now heading towards the sun and he says they will become one with oblivion and we get a huge megatron laugh to the end of the episode and that's now, it. I have two questions. I have two questions about that final bit. Yep. One, why is the rocket even under guidance from Teletram 1 rather than just being fired off into space? And two, how is it under the guidance of Teletram 1? And three, Who? why isn't there a password on Teletram 1? <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> See, my theory is that like Teletran 1, he gets left out of everything. The Autobots just treat him like he's a dumb computer when clearly he's sentient. So Teletran 1's just like, you know what, I don't care. I don't care. Unless someone specifically asks me a question. I'm just going to pretend like I don't know anything. It's like a petulant toddler. It's like, wh- where's the toast? And the toddler's like, oh, oh no. Do you eat it? Yeah. <laughs> well, this is why, obviously why they have to ask uh, Spike and Chip to interrogate Teletran 1 or Sparkplug. And the Autobots can't do it for themselves. Anyway, so that about right after that. So who is, uh, seeing as you're our guest, you can say, <laughs> Becca, like, I mean, if there's a choice, is your man of the match perchance i mean you know you put me in an uncomfortable position here because it's going to sound like i'm biased but it's it's obviously megatron he's won for for a change which is nice it's it's the only time it ever happens um but also uh, i really like his attitude in this episode that he he really does not like sean Berger. like he is clearly using him but he's quite disdainful of him. Uh, when he teamed up with the Atlanteans, he was very much, he said he respected their warlike spirit. And yes, he was going to backstab them, but he seemed to respect the process. With Sean Berger, he just shows up. He's like, look, I don't like you, but you're the best I've got. And the moment I can get away with it, you go in and assault mice. 
and and I think that that's a really good attitude because when the leader of the Decepticons thinks you're a bad person, maybe you should reconsider your life choices. I would. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a good look for Sean Berger. Uh, Jason, do you want to challenge that? Uh, no, I'll just read what I've got in my notes for Man of the Match. Uh, Megatron, he won. <laughs> Absolutely. He came up with a decent plan. Uh, the execution was a bit, you know, I, I mean, the execution could have been a bit more in depth, but it's a 20 minute kids cartoon. You can't go too much in depth. But the idea is great and it works. And that's not only a testament to Megatron's strategic planning, which for once actually seems to be fairly good. Uh, it's also a searing indictment of mob mentality <laughs> and the humans. <laughs> because he knows that he's going to swing the whole human race against the Autobots on the basis of a couple of tapes of faked up evidence. He watched some late night reality TV and he was like, oh, I've got a brilliant idea. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You can criticise his execution, but when you're working with Ramjet, Thrust, Dirge, Starscream, Skywarp, Thundercracker, Reflector maybe, um, you you know, you, you make the best of what you got. Yeah. Um, I, I love, I, again, it's Megatron. I love him being sneaky. I love him not going straight in, just shooting stuff, but actually making deals, talking to people, winning people over. I think he's so, so good at that. And it, def- it definitely isn't Optimus Prime. In this episode, like, <laughs> politically, I, I, we might talk about this at the end. Politically, I don't know where Transformers stand, because obviously it was in the Reagan era, and it's entirely kind of like, you know, uh, Republican. But this episode shows that mob rule is bad. It shows that believing what you see on TV is bad. But it also shows that passive resistance is totally ineffective. And yeah. you're just going to get your backside shunted into space. So Optimus Prime mm, didn't do very well this week, did he? No. And I, I think when we talk about the next episode, I think the next episode provides quite a solid criticism of that. But standalone, if you were a little kid watching this you would be sitting there thinking, why aren't you fighting back? Like, it's a war. Sometimes being at war means you've got to fight back. Like, they specifically refer to it as a war. And they're not, you know, the humans are like, leave. And Optimus is like, okay, I'm not I'm not going to challenge that. I'm not going to call any evidence at my trial. I'm not going to stick up for myself or my comrades. I'm literally going to stand here completely silent and not do anything at all. And it's like, oh, Optimus. <laughs> oh, please, not even going to try and leave a disguised Autobot or two behind that maybe they haven't met yet. Because we keep meeting random Autobots in these in the middle of Series 2, so there's clearly a few yeah. that people don't know. Yeah. You know, but why like, isn't, I, you know, what, what if see... Power Glide is still out flying? Because I haven't seen Power Glide. He's off with Astoria. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, like Cosmo surely was already in space. Like his whole thing was that he lived in space. He liked being in space. So did he call like Cosmos down to Earth? It was like, oh, we're banished from Earth. And Cosmos was like, well, I wasn't here anyway. So I don't know why you called me. And, like, what happened? Whole questions about Cosmos in the next episode. <laughs> so let's see if any of our questions are answered as we go straight into part two of Megatron's Master Plan. So we come to the second part of Megatron's Master Plan. And there's a recap of the previous episode. And it's very useful because I've completely forgotten what happened. What happened last episode in the briefest possible moment? Please, anyone. Uh, Megatron executed his master plan. (laughs) Spike went to a room to watch a video. And the time he was in the room, the Decepticons held a trial, built a spaceship, 
fired people off into space, broke into the Ark, and uh, changed the rocket to, to go into the path of the sun. And Sp- Spike is still sat there watching this video that's like 30 seconds long. And Ravage <laughs> is still in the doorway. And Ravage is still in the door. Ravage is being very polite. You know, he's like, oh, I'm not going to yeah. let him finish watching the video. Fin- finish, you know? your f- finish your movie. Yeah. Finish your we'll, film. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll do that horrible mauling you to death and what have you <laughs> when you're done. Just enjoy yourself. Yeah, enjoy Starscream's amazing acting skills. But it's good news in Central in Central City. It's good news. It's Decepticon Day. It gives me great pleasure to declare today Decepticon Day. Yay! Way to go, Megatron! Yay, Sunway! This makes me sick. <laughs> How would you best celebrate Decepticon Day? If you were a kid, you would dress up as Megatron because people very rapidly can put Transformers costumes together, apparently. So. Yeah, putting the TF Nation cosplayers to shame. I mean, that kid did it in, what, half an hour? Half an hour, he had a brilliant Megatron outfit. So I was wondering, like, they've got the big banner that said Decepticon Day. I wondered if it was just written on the back of the Autobot Day one. Like, did they just flip it over? <laughs> They're like, ignore that side. It's Decepticon Day now. And everyone in the parade was like, oh, oh okay, that's fine. Ah, no, because in the Autobot Day parade, we saw a shot from behind the banner where it was written in reverse. But maybe it was written in a special font that when you flip it over. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes, but you know, when they flipped it over, they all went. They're like, wow, how did the fabric do that? <laughs> That's amazing. That's sure. fantastic. Starscream is like, so there's a big parade going on. All the Decepticons are in it. And Starscream says to Megatron, Why waste time? Let's take the city now. I have my reasons. Like, what reasons? The reasons I... was that he wanted a parade. Like, that that was it. You know, he's like, oh, I've got this this plan. And Starscream's like, is the plan that you wanted a parade? And he's like, shut up. <laughs> I think so, yeah. The auto Optimus Prime had a parade. I want a parade. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and a disco. Make sure there's a disco. For the disco. Oh, the disco. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the disco. Let's go. Let's go straight. OK, I've got I've got two words written down. It's Decepticon Disco. So what is going on here? <laughs> all the girls love Soundwave, it would appear. Yeah, and like... suspiciously, <laughs> suspicious. Did you notice one of those girls doesn't half look like Carly? Carly was like, "Well, Bumblebee's gone. I've got to befriend a different Transformer, and this yeah. one's here." So you know, <laughs> Rumble I... is boogieing on down, having a great time. Yeah, Frenzy's not invited. Um, <laughs> he's still back <laughs> Frenzy's still tidying up Decepticon HQ. That's yeah. that's what he's doing. Um, and then I... somebody offers Laserbeak a cracker, and oh, if looks could kill. <laughs> <laughs> Which with Laserbeak, they often can. <laughs> yes. That's Although true. I... He does have lasers in his eyes. So. <laughs> it's a very good thing they didn't offer Buzzsaw a cracker. Otherwise, there'd have been 50 dead bodies, blood everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I do think it's a shame we didn't get to see Megatron at the disco because he has big, old, confused man energy. And I would just love it. He was there. He's like, oh, my God, the, the lights, the, the racket. I, I, need a, I need a headache tablet. This is too much. I can't do this. And Soundwave's just there like, ha-ha, weak. <laughs> so anyway, so Spike, meanwhile, is still watching VHS videos. And I can't blame him for taking a long time. I, you've got experience with VHS, haven't you, Becca? Yeah, yeah. My my entire Power Rangers collection was on VHS, and it was about this long. Um, and there was like four episodes. 
yeah so we're all very used to that so you know you have to rewind it and you have to yeah. fast forward it to the right place and there's if you have to view millions of them there's no indexing or searching you have to literally yep. watch them all the way through to find the bit you want and, and then the ribbon comes out and you've got to like wind it back in and then it comes out again and you're like forget it i'm gonna throw this in the bin <laughs> we we used to love vhs tapes though mm-hmm. um so Spike watches a completely different video of Starscream disguised as Optimus Prime in a city setting. And uh, yeah, I, he's been watching Transformers all weekend. I, I can't blame him. Perhaps he's still sitting there. He doesn't know what's happened. He says, I hope I make it back in time for the trial. <laughs> <laughs> got no idea. It's like, yeah. And Chip is like, right now, Spike is still looking for evidence. And he's like, still? Bloody hell. <laughs> But yeah, a lovely shot of Starscream not only taking the Optimus Prime head off, but basically doing that thing of like peeling his costume off down the middle. Yeah, it just falls away, and his shoulder intakes pop up, and his wings pop out out of the back. And it's like, <laughs> why would you record that as part of this plan? And then off camera, Dirge is like, "Oh, the camera wasn't turned on. We need to go again." And Starscream's looking at the ruined costume like that. Ah, <laughs> uh, the weather's like problem here, lads. <laughs> I, I don't know a huge amount about cosplay, but I do know that a lot of cosplayers would be happy to be able to take off their costume just like that. Oh, definitely, yeah. Peel it off. Yeah, we go. <laughs> so Ravage has had enough of Spike watching Transformers, so he attacks at that point. And for his pains, he gets first electrocuted, and then he gets bashed by a rather distinctive-looking chair. And I thought, I've seen chairs like this before. So I went onto Twitter and asked my friend Tim Dickinson, who is known on Twitter as at that chair guy who is an expert on chairs and has been doing huge threads on the chairs in Blake 7 and Doctor Who and how they're all pieces of classic design and I asked him to, to find out what kind of chair this was and he said he couldn't give me a definite because obviously it's a cartoon chair it's not really based on anything but he said it has influences from the tulip chairs from the ni- 1960s and it looks a bit like ASCO chairs from the 1960s as well but there's lots of chairs that use that type I just thought that chair was recognisable I've got a friend who's an expert in chairs. I thought I'd make use of it. Has he ever anyway. done a thread on Jerry Anderson chairs? Because I'd be really interested in that. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, for, for the live action stuff? Yeah, well, the, yeah, the yeah. puppetry as well, because they had yeah. to like scale down um, oh, furniture. Did, yeah. Yeah, it's all really, and it's all, it is all classic 60s design, isn't it? So it's all good stuff, yeah. Um, <laughs> I will ask him. <laughs> so anyway, so oh, that's enough about chairs. So then Ravage gets squashed by dozens of VHS tapes. If you've ever had to carry a big bag or a box of VHS tapes, you know that having a dozen VHS tapes fall on you is going to be agony. (laughs) And it's enough for Spike to escape and make his way to save the Autobots with his evidence. Sorry, Spike. Spike does very well against Ravage, but he has had plenty of practice and it's nice to see that it actually comes to the fore this time. (laughs) (laughs) So we uh, we cut, obviously from that, we cut to space and we see Cosmos for the first time and we'll meet him properly next time on the show and he is leading the Autobot ship in its journey to Cybertron or wherever and on board this looks like one of the worst flights ever uh the Autobots are all fed up there's no in-flight movie no one's come around with snacks the seats don't recline in fact it's so bad that we get a very rare incident with Ironhide showing that he's actually quite pissed off with Optimus Prime yeah, like he threatens to beat up Optimus Prime, his BFF. Yeah. Don't it's take like, oh. it out on, you know, don't take it out on Cosmos. Oh, yeah, maybe we should take it out on the guy who got <laughs> us into this mess. 
Prime's like, I'm in danger. <laughs> I did what I had to do. You didn't do anything, Prime. You did nothing. Now, Cosmos, yeah. I just want to pop back to Cosmos. Isn't it convenient that he suddenly popped up? We never met him before. He, was, he resembles a UFO as well. He resembles a UFO, which is a terrible disguise for a Transformer. And presumably, if he's been on Earth orbit for so long, nobody knows he's there. So why is he now flying along with the Autobots on this trip? Yeah, and, and why is he, like, Optimus is like, to Cybertron, and Cosmos is like, correct, and then just flies directly at the sun? Like, has he not noticed the sun is getting closer? It's like, wait, where are we going? Oh, Cosmos doesn't know. Oh, Hound, track our location. Why can't Cosmos <laughs> tell you where he... he's flying? <laughs> he can just look. Why is Cosmos going the same way? Why doesn't he go somewhere else? You know, it's just, ah. Oh, yeah, and Hound's just... using his hologram projector. It's like, which way are we going? He's like, ah, oh, just fire up the hologram projector. It's like, Hound, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> yes, so Hound stands inside the ship and fires circular beams from his hologram projector which go through the wall of the ship past cosmos and detect that they're flying towards mm, the sun i think at this pr- point prime is really reconsidering his life choices because how did you get in this mess oh, for god's sake prime presumably no one put a window on the ship either because you know, where are we going well look out the front <laughs> see that big glowy ball thing yeah, but it's a ship built by their enemies, so obviously it doesn't have windows. It's 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 part of Megatron's yeah. master plan. <laughs> but I do I do love this because we get a slight variation on what is normally something the bad guys do. Typically the bad guy leader, when everything goes to pot during their plan, the bad guy leader will shout at his underlings, do something. And it's a slight variant on this because Prime says, Cosmos! Take action, which is basically just a good guy way of saying, do something. And what I really love about it is Cosmos says, like what? And Prime's <laughs> response is, if I knew I'd do that myself. You cheeky <laughs> bastard. <laughs> He's really having a bad leadership it's, day. Optimus like... Prime is not doing well. He's just like, oh, somebody else do something for God. I'm all out of ideas. I've, I've clearly messed this up. Somebody else, take charge and get us out of this mess that I've got us into. Cosmos does do something. He links up with Teletran 1 and spins round and round. Mm. Very useful, Cosmos. But they're getting close to the sun now. The heat makes the burger ink words on the side of the ship melt and burn off. And the Autobots all start overheating and sparking and going red. And I absolutely love the animation of the ship going into the sun. Yeah, the, the animation so on these two episodes in particular is gorgeous. It really is. And yeah, I mean, Cosmos's action is to fly into the ship, press the same few buttons that Cliff Jumper tried earlier, and then say, "Any luck? No." <laughs> and he sounds so sad. He does. No. Poor little Cosmos. It is like when your boss at the office can't do something in Excel and they call over one co-worker and then another co-worker. <laughs> then you go over and do the exact same thing. It's like, well, that hasn't worked either. Um, I'm going to have to call IT. <laughs> oh, I did that today. Um... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so at a much cooler place, the undersea base, Burger reminds Megatron that he was promised three cities. I think there's a slight confusion in this one because he says, you promised me three cities. Megatron says, you're still trying to up the ante. No, he but he said three cities last time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just Megatron's. He's he gets hit in the head a lot. He's got hearing difficulties. So he probably didn't hear the last time. <laughs> 
but there's no chance for the Autobots. The Autobots are sparking. Megatron counts down, and it's five, four, three, two. Who's going to save them? Nobody. Nobody. They blow Nobody. up. The ship explodes. Zero. The Autobots are dead. I mean, it looks gorgeous, but it's very sad. Yeah, God, if I'd been a little kid, I would have been I would have been traumatized. I very much believed what I was seeing in cartoons. And I'm glad I watched this the first time age twenty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you were actually, only slightly upset by it. Exactly. Well, I started with the eighty six film, so it's like, ah, nothing can upset me now in Transformers. <laughs> <laughs> that is a hell of a way to get into it, yeah. <laughs> Immediately after annihilating the Autobots, Megatron organises a press conference. It's what you do. You've got to tell everyone how brilliant you are. Spike is showing the mayor his evidence just before the press conference, and the mayor was going, oh, how could we have been so stupid? He hasn't watched this show before, has he? <laughs> and then we get, this lo- we get another cutaway. We get a lovely American household, and there's a young child, and he's drawing a very special picture. <laughs> He's drawing a fantastically accurate picture as well for a kid his age. It's traced. It's <laughs> colouring. <laughs> colouring way outside the lines. It's like the legs over there. And he's colouring over there. And it's like, oh, this was definitely not lined up properly. <laughs> yeah. So, so after drawing about 80% of a brilliant Megatron that any of us would be pleased to be able to do, he says to his mum, I haven't got any metal crayons. I can't finish Megatron. <laughs> Anyway, I'd love to be as good as that kid. Yeah. Megatron has a message for the people of Earth. This is Megatron. And a journalist with a big moustache, again with the moustaches, he asks what Megatron's plans are now that the Autobots are vanquished. And Megatron says, I'm glad you asked. Earth germ. (laughs) (laughs) And Swayberg is like, what? (laughs) (laughs) everyone everyone is he, so he, he basically turns around i'm gonna suck this planet dry of energy as he always does and one of the journalists very mildly says we've been had someone else says yes <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 a bit of an underreaction rather than at this point turning and running and screaming which is the correct response <laughs> yeah and megatron declares to the world that sean Berger was his partner and the crowd turns against Sean. And Spike is really sad about this because who cares about his VHS tape now? <laughs> All this yeah. evidence he collected, what was he doing? He wasted his time. Yeah, that whole that plot of him collecting the evidence, the conclusive evidence that proves the Autobots were good is now irrelevant because Megatron's just given away the whole trick in the first place. So, And yet Spike still goes on about proving the minister. It's like, Spike... Look at the context. It's fine. (laughs) You can stop now. (laughs) Burger's private army abandoned him, saying, shred my paycheck, Burger, which I kind (laughs) of like. And then Megatron has uh, another classic line. This city is under martial law. And I am the marshal. No, <laughs> that line drives me absolutely round the bend. Different forms of marshal. Two not... different words with different meanings yeah. and different spellings. You can't say that one is ah oh, no. Yeah, no. I but was you the can same. kind of forgive it because it's Megatron. He's not a human. He might have just picked up the expressions and doesn't quite has only heard them. Because they are very, you know, they're pronounced the same. But no, martial law and martial of somewhere are totally separate words. Yep, yep. If I'd have been there at that press conference, I'd be like, um, actually. 
<laughs> Silence, Earth Germ. <laughs> Central City is now Megatronia 1, and we get, I think, probably the only scene of Transformers that Michael Bay watched before actually <laughs> doing his films. Oh, it's the Jets, and they're trashing the city and scaring all the humans, and in some absolutely stunning animation as well. The shot of the Jets destroying the buildings is it's gorgeous. Yeah, I, and they do that thing which you see a lot in superhero movies where you fly through the middle of a skyscraper and the skyscraper collapses. They do that twice, and they're yeah. firing at people in their cars, and it's terrifying. Oh, and they're doing that thing that you always see in the in these movies as well, where they're shooting two laser beams running up the street and people running away as they carve two perfect trenches down the street behind them. <laughs> Yeah, I, but I, this is like, again, what I want to see more of in my Transformers are the Decepticons behaving like this and having one and being this terrifying menace. Um, well, but... you should watch the Super God Master Force cartoon then because they <laughs> quite often trash cities and scare humans. I mean, they've been forced to be nice for like 24 hours. They're just letting loose. You know? They've had a whole day where they weren't allowed to be mean. Ramjet hasn't hit anyone with his head for a whole day. Now he's got to go and headbutt a few things to get it out of his system. Back at the press conference, Spike notes that Sean Berger looks like he's gone crazy. And he does go crazy. He starts ranting about the apocalypse. Which is beautiful. I saw the Autobot ship like a silver bullet. And I, I really like that little monologue he gives. It's really poetic. It's like, why is he saying it? <laughs> yeah, and this is where Sean Berger's character gets a bit more interesting, isn't it? I think we'll see a bit more of this in a minute. But yeah, yeah, um, definitely. Chip is unable to hold on to his dreams anymore. He says, there's not much room left for hope. Hold on to your dreams, Chip. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> Remember what Prime said. Spike runs off with his precious VHS tape to clear the Autobots' names. At least he can do that, and maybe they can bring them back on the spaceship. But Soundwave, who clearly prefers Betamax, sends <laughs> Ravage and Laserbeak after him. With the wonderful command, get him! <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, that's, that's very descriptive. <laughs> Efficient Laserbeak immediately destroys the VHS, while rubbish Ravage crashes into some crates. <laughs> He's just not recovered from the VHS tape incident. <laughs> no, he's having a terrible week. He had a VHS tapes now, so he ran away. Yeah. <laughs> Burgers actually saves Spike at this point by swiping Laserbeak with a microphone stand. So, okay, we've we've got a bit of a hierarchy here because in a previous episode, right, Laserbeak has destroyed Optimus Prime, blown up Optimus Prime. He has caused serious hassle for Devastator, and in to my mind, that makes him the most powerful Decepticon. He's now beaten by Sean Berger. So logically, Sean Berger is now the most powerful person in Transformers. He is a magician. <laughs> is he? Yeah, because the way it's cut, he swipes at this stand at Laserbeak, bashes Laserbeak out of the sky into a pile of crates, and then we cut to him lifting the stand off the pile of crates and Ravage emerges. <laughs> so he's magically turned Laserbeak into Ravage. <laughs> All of this is wrapped up and Megatron vows to give Berger everything that he's earned. Which again is like, like Megatron doesn't like this guy and is like, finally, I can give him his comeuppance. I hate him. And now I'm going to, I'm going to make him suffer. If the Decepticons don't like you, you're doing something wrong. So yeah, so all the humans are made in slaves, naturally. And what do they get to do as slaves? What fun activities do they get to get involved in? <laughs> Let's all go do energon cubes. 
Yep. They get to help them fill energon cubes. And the wonderful thing about filling those energon cubes is oil, coal fire, and electricity behave as liquids to be poured into uh, energon cubes. Yep. Which is very bizarre. (laughs) Also, the energon cubes are tiny because it's humans making them. So you've got to question the efficiency. If it's going to take like 90 human-sized cubes to make a transformer-sized cube, what's the point? (laughs) Well, you've got to question the efficiency of an energon cube filling station that requires a human, such as the mayor, to stand with two levers alternately pulling them up and down over and over and over again. (laughs) See, this is probably me reading too much into it, but my favourite all-time film is Metropolis, which was made in 1926 and is about a robotic city. And I swear that shot is based on a shot from Metropolis. I was like, would it be possible for, like, you know, someone who's written the script to have seen Metropolis at that point? Probably. It would not surprise me if that were were indeed the case. I mean, this film has already homaged several 1930s and what have you movies, King Kong, Frankenstein, all sorts of things. So, Oh, did they homage Frankenstein? I missed that. Did you miss that? I think they were very very subtle about it. So Soundwave says the same thing that Jason says to me when our recording looks like it's reaching two hours, which is increase efficiency or be terminated. (laughs) (laughs) And an army soldier slags off Berger saying, real work, something new to you. So Berger's really suffering here. It's a big character arc for Berger in this two-parter. Meanwhile in space, the Autobots have been saved because Trailbreaker had a force field. Trailbreaker is the MVP. He is the real MVP. (laughs) (laughs) once again trailbaker's force field saved the day cosmos though is still heading towards the sun actually this is quite cool because trailbreaker's just made this giant hamster ball full of (laughs) autobots floating around dragged (laughs) along by cosmos but talatran one is overriding cosmos so they're still doomed now question about this then they were already burning up by the time that cosmos got into the ship in the first place why are they still heading towards the sun from a greater distance and why is Cosmos under control from Teletran 1? Why is he not autonomous? Yeah, like, are they individual standalone sentient beings or not? It's like with the control chip a couple of episodes ago. It's like, if their programming can be so easily overwritten, are they even sentient to begin with? If Teletran 1 just, like, go over there and Cosmos is like, well, guess I'm going over there. <laughs> I don't I, I, I was hoping to skim over that in just a line but uh... well, it, it gets it gets weirder when you watch later episodes with Cosmos because Cosmos in later episodes is big enough for several Transformers to ride inside him and yet here he's maintained more or less consistent size in vehicle and robot mode so so anyway, so back on planet Earth Chip decides to escape from the from the um, <laughs> from wherever they are and he decides to escape and he wants to get help from Teletran 1 because it's all they have left and he's just pretending the Autobots are still alive you know he's just doing what he can so they organise an an escape plan (laughs) (laughs) what a fucking terrible escape plan it is Spike says I will cover for you and he goes and creates a diversion which works brilliantly shoves a crate full of energon cubes into rumble and gets him zapped on the energy on the side and everything and then Megatron says oh turn off the power because rumble's not doing very well there and then Spike turns around and yells at the top of his voice, Roll for it, Chip! <laughs> it's like I expected Chip to go, Thanks, Spike! No one was looking until you shouted. <laughs> 
Uh, Megatron's not particularly worried about Chip. He thinks he's harmless. And he doesn't even use his proper voice to order Thrust to bring him back. No, this is. I think this is one of those moments, a bit like in um, Roll for It, where Frank Welker puts on a particular voice for the characters, and for some reason they forgot to modulate it for those lines. It's really, it's not odd. quite as impressive as when Soundwave says "excellent ravage" in a Doctor Claw <laughs> voice. But yeah, definitely the modulation is off on his voice at that moment. Yeah. Chip, obviously missing Optimus Prime terribly, he gets in the first Optimus Prime style truck that he finds. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, oh god I, I i don't know if this is the right way i don't know if it's the right meaning of the word he stops off at stands he stands optimus prime he does stand optimus prime he does stand optimus prime good uh, <laughs> i still don't get why stan is has become a word for you know being a very supportive fan because it's this is not as good a thing as you think it is because if you listen to the yeah. song it ends up with him driving him and his pregnant girlfriend into a river and dying basically <laughs> so yeah it kind of started as an insult and then it got like absorbed and now everyone's just... like yeah i'm a stan and it's like no you're not yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm, but no <laughs> yeah. so chip who is wheelchair bound opens the rear doors of the truck jumps out and scoots away from the back of the truck without the driver noticing i don't know it's probably fine i'm probably just being a git so. I mean, there was a previous episode where he survived acid rain that was burning all the Transformers. <laughs> and Chip was there just like, that tickles me. Uh, I also, I, he doesn't get out without the driver noticing because he shouts, this is my stop, thanks. And the driver <laughs> looks on astonished. <laughs> what is amazing is that Chip then makes it to the Ark by himself. So Chip gets to the Ark, who cares how, and he checks in with Teletran 1. Who altered the flight plan? And... <laughs> Megatron! <laughs> There's a picture of Megatron on the screen. <laughs> uh, here we get a stage in the episode where the Decepticons have decided they are no longer using doors or obvious openings because Thrust arrives. Before Thrust arrives, oh. Teletran 1 can't spell. Okay. Because oh. Chip asks, what about Cosmos? And on the screen, a picture of Cosmos appears with the caption, Cosmos. <laughs> second o is missing from cosmos on the screen it's only there for briefly but i looked at it and I went hang on <laughs> so the animator had one job there <laughs> or teletran one was like i don't get any respect i'm not going to spell any of their names right i yeah. don't care but yeah the decepticons aren't using doors because thrust breaks in through the roof now again i've got to ask how the Ark is buried in a volcano. Above that roof is a massive chunk of rock. <laughs> uh, well, actually, Laserbeak, uh, in season one, he enters down through the top of the volcano. So it seems like the top of the volcano is just a huge tube that no one thought, let's build a door over it or, you know, well, any a, kind of security at all. One thing, this, this volcano seems to have an inexhaustible supply of rock above the Ark. <laughs> rocks are constantly falling down for various reasons but thrust just breaks in through the roof it's very sad for chip he's like no teletran one no that's oh, all we, we have, have left, left. <laughs> yeah this yeah. is my this is my biggest issue with this whole episode plot because they only get back and win at the end because thrust destroys teletran one <laughs> Because Cosmos is still very firmly under control heading towards the sun and the Autobots are completely powerless, apparently, even though you would think that possibly at least some of them surely have the ability to fly in space. If they just undid that force field, Cosmos, sorry, Cosmos is, is doomed. 
he's heading towards the sun <laughs> under Teletran 1's control. But surely now you're out of that spaceship, the rest of you can fly away, can't you? Listen, they flew for three episodes and then they just kind of forgot that they could do that. And Except when it was handy for them to be able to do it. Like now would be a really good time for you to remember that you can fly, or at least some of you can. We got Power Glide there. I mean, I know he's a jet, but yeah, I don't know. where? Well, yeah. I don't know. I, don't know. Um, I do like how the two storylines dovetail. I thought that was a good, you know, consequences of one story impacting on the other one, but it does kind of feel like an ass pull. Yeah, in in terms of how the structure is, the, the structure is really good, but the Autobots don't do anything to save the day that's difficult so anyway so chip is not scared of thrusters i mean he, chip was bad mouthing devastator a few weeks ago <laughs> so he calls thruster pile of reject parts <laughs> thruster's like yeah yeah well shut up <laughs> <laughs> yeah yes. well if i, I yeah i am and what are you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so he's outsmarted by Chip, but obviously he's outsized Chip as well because he just scoops him up and sticks him in his cockpit and takes him back at work. And Chip is back at work. Spike says, at least you tried. <laughs> and sorry about shouting earlier. <laughs> sorry about letting them know you escaped, yeah. <laughs> also, no consequences. Like, the Decepticons <clears throat> just put Chip back to work and like, don't do that again. Yeah. Or else... <laughs> But but what but why why consequence? You, you wouldn't have consequences because he's just a slave again. You know you need slave resources. So anyway, Megatron has loads and loads of energy, and he's very very happy. He's the happiest we've seen him. And Soundwave detects lots of energy sources. He says, "I know, <laughs> I've got loads of energy." <laughs> but it's not. It's not. It's something else, isn't it? It's a human air force has come to attack the Decepticons. And I really like this. Decepticon and Jets and Blitzwing make very short work of the uh, the human jets. Every single one that we see destroyed has a little parachute flying out of it. So, you know, no humans were killed in the making of this episode. <laughs> and the rest of them eventually just give up because clearly they're not going to win. But what I really like about it is that they the the writer of this episode hasn't gone down the old cliche of the villain who is based in one little city on one country in one part of the world wins his plan and suddenly the whole world goes, oh, yeah, all right. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> there a, is it's still resistance. Response. And Megatron explicitly says, we start here, then we will go to other cities and we will eventually take over the world rather than, I've won, hooray. <laughs> Megatronia one. Megatronia 2, Megatronia 3, Starscreamia 1. No, we're not having that. <laughs> Blitzwingberg. <laughs> it's just a massive highway that he's built in a football stadium. Megatron's like, yeah, you can pick, mate, it's fine, don't worry about it. <laughs> okay, I'm going to criticise Frank Welker. Ooh. <sighs> he says, even Earth's mightiest warriors cannot stop us. <laughs> He and does I, that as Megatron. I cannot stand that Americans Americans cannot pronounce warriors. It's always warriors. It's terrible. Uh, the worst one is Worf in The Next Generation. He cannot say warriors. And I thought it was just because he had the teeth in, but they, they just say warriors. It's I, very interesting. He does, when he does the Megatron voice, obviously, because I've watched a lot of Megatron content, he does mispronounce several things. Any word that starts with Q, he pronounces as a K as well. 
so he's given Megatron a very distinct cadence and I think he leans into the fact that he speaks slightly different and that's why to me he has like old man energy because he's saying words wrong it's the first time he's heard like human language everyone else has picked it up fine and Megatron's like warriors (laughs) that's right right that's how you say it that's what I heard on TV I I suspect that that's more a transatlantic pronunciation thing because i think a lot of american characters on tv and people pronounce things that way um, one that always gets me is um the way a lot of american tv um personalities pronounce mirror 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 mirror, mirror. <laughs> you know it's, they don't they don't say mirror at least you didn't say legos oh, <laughs> oh god yeah legos oh that's oh. that's becoming a thing isn't it anyway that's a bit of a low point it's a low point for all of our characters Megatron says, Bravo for my amusement. We've reached rock bottom. The human race has no hope. There is nothing that can save them. And then we get one word from off camera. Megatron. No. Such a great moment. And Megatron like is genuinely scared and confused when he's like, Prime? What? No, you're not supposed <laughs> to be here. <laughs> Impossible. I saw you disintegrated. And Optimus Prime comes out with the worst, I'm sorry, the worst load of all <laughs> bull book that I've ever heard. We too staged an illusion. <laughs> no. <laughs> Prime's like, look, I'm trying to desperately pull this back from oblivion, okay? (laughs) Yeah, that was, uh, you know, I could believe it because obviously Hound is very good at creating holograms. So maybe it was a holographic spaceship that blew up. But we don't see any evidence of that. We just see Prime saying that that's the case. But who cares? Because the next battle sequence with the Decepticons and the Autobots is just gorgeous. Mm -hmm. Lots of lovely shots of Autobots lined up just shooting at the Decepticons. This is one of the classic Transformer battles. They either go straight in for the wrestling or they stand five metres away from each other and just shoot. And this is the second type. And it's one of the best examples that we've seen. They do something similar in enter the night bird where they're just standing and shooting at each other and it it doesn't really work but this is superb it really is and again it happens occasionally in series two particularly one of the autobots is shooting from his fists (laughs) (laughs) it's like prime's making up the rules so so am i (laughs) (laughs) and the autobots who's winning who's winning the autobots are winning because there are more of them yep yeah and Megatron looks behind him and lying in a heap. So he says, all right, okay, we're outnumbered. We're in trouble. He looks behind him and lying in a heap are the Constructicons all <laughs> knocked down and unable to merge into Devastator, which I thought was a great touch. That was a nice little touch because, you know, yeah, we've got this ultimate weapon. Oh, no, we haven't. <laughs> Last. <laughs> and it was nice that it's like somebody remembered and you you, mm. you wonder whether that happened in a revision or in the animation or whether Donald F. Glutt wrote in his thing, at this point, please show the Constructicons all knackered and unable to form Devastator. Because if we don't, somebody is going to say, why didn't they make Devastator? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the advantage is lost at 20 minutes and 27 seconds into the episode. Megatron <laughs> flies off and they all follow. And that just about wraps it up, apart from the last little bit. Later, Ironhide is releasing Chip and all the others. And the mayor says, please stay here on Earth, which I think is a pretty desperate plea from the mayor after all he's put them through. Yeah. Berger promises to (laughs) disband his private army. 
and Sparkplug, again, great line. They all quit when they found out what a dog lunch you are. <laughs> <laughs> I will have to start using dog lunch in real life. This this is good, solid handling of the bad guy, the human bad guy, because he's not, he hasn't had a redemption arc as such. Um, he's not as he, he, but he is at least self aware enough to realise that he cocked everything up. He's probably not going to be forgiven, um, but he'll try and be better from this point onwards. I know he's only like, oh, disband my private army, but he did at least get a bit of vague heroism when he saved Spike from Laser Beak and Ravage. Oh, see, I took it a different way because he's like, oh, yeah, I'll make amends. I'll disband, you know, I'll disband my army. And then when the mayor was like, no, you're, you're probably going to go to jail. And Berger has a, but I said I would be good. Why are you putting me in jail for betraying the human race? This isn't fair. And in my notes, it's just, I've just written, Berger's like, I'll make amends. And I've just written in full caps, go to jail. <laughs> do not pass go, do not collect however many billions. And Optimus Prime, as usual, after a, an episode of absolutely terrible Optimus Priming, saves the day by having just one great line which is this. You are going to face justice, and may it be kinder to you than it was to us. Autobots, transform and roll for home. Yeah. And they drive into the sunset. Yeah. Lovely. So, anyway, wow. What did we think? Yeah. <laughs> there, there is a lot of really great stuff in this episode. The animation is fantastic. The story structure is reasonably solid and and it shows more of the human side of things the only big thing against it as i said before is that the autobots don't win by any action that they take themselves they only win and avoid being burnt up in the sun because one of the bad guys destroys the guidance program that's making sure they get there without thinking about it he doesn't probably doesn't even know what's going on (laughs) because megatron has previous for not actually telling his subordinates the whole detail of all his plans gun thrust is just there's nothing going on up here you know he he is he's not the brightest boy <laughs> not by a long chalk certainly <laughs> i mean he does get my man of the match for saving the autobots a well done thrust um he's, he's a key player in this episode uh, any thoughts of man on the match becca so i'm not going to say megatron for this one and the reason why is that he's kind of a shakespearean tragic character in that he is defeated by his own flaw if he had carried on pretending to be nice humans would have just given him stuff because i i've always thought that's what happened with the autobots we give them energy they protect us so i figured that you know if megatron just carried on pretending to be a stand-up guy we would have the same arrangement and we'd give him what he wanted but because he's so incapable of being good even pretend he's basically hoisted by his own petard here you know this is all his fault that this happened so my man of the match goes to chip because chip is the one person who does something, which is I'm going to go and see the big computer that Megatron for some reason hasn't destroyed along with the rest of the arc. And yeah, in doing so, him freeing the Autobots is an accident. But at least he's doing something. Positive action from Chip. Yeah, Jason. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I said that really, I mean, nobody does anything particularly noteworthy in this episode because every plan that they have ultimately comes to nothing. And so the only one I could possibly think of that did anything noteworthy is thrust for destroying Teletran one and letting the Autobots come back. Yeah. And they, they, they only win by luck. And I mean, that tends to happen a lot with the Autobots. They win by luck because the bad guys do something wrong or 
just you know they appear and the bad guys go oh crap let's go um you know so it's like a subversion of uh, like the picard quote where it says to data it's possible to do everything right and still lose but in this situation it's like it's possible to do everything wrong and still win yeah Yeah, Yeah. that that just about sums up this episode um the way this episode is wrapped up but that i mean that's that's a big disappointment for me but it's outweighed by the quality of everything that came before and the totality of Megatron's victory in the area. And yet, as I said, the acknowledgement that winning one city in America does not grant you conquest over the entire world. So, yeah, I really loved it. So I can see why they chose this one to be released on VHS, because it is one of the standout ones, I think, in the series. Yeah. All-time classic episode, 53 Transformers make an appearance in this, part two alone. <laughs> <laughs> It's an incredible cast. It's an incredible episode. And I have had a whale of a time discussing it with you both. Mm-hmm. So all that remains is for me to say thank you very much for listening to Robots in Your Eyes. I've been Stephen Alexander, co-hosting with Jason Thompson and very special guest, Becca. We'll be back next week with another action-packed double bill. But until then, don't put your faith in VHS tapes. They ain't going to save the planet. Good night. That was Robots in Your Eyes. You can find us on Twitter at RobotsInEyes, or you can email us at RobotsInEyes at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please don't forget to give us a nice review and comment on the podcast app of your choice. Thank you. That was fun. I enjoyed that. That was really fun. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, good to have you. Good to have you on board. I, 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 I had to be. Honest, I saw Megatron's master plan coming up, and I thought, if I'm going to ask somebody to be a guest on this <laughs> one, <laughs> who's it going to be? <laughs>